Hello everyone and welcome to episode 430 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and also co-host of this podcast, along with my other co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of so many books, but her latest one is The Wolf's Howl. How are you, Al? I'm laughing at that particular <laughs> intro. Why? I am the co-author, author. Oh, no, I'm not. I co-host and I'm, there is another co-host and your other co-host. Anyway, enough. I'm here and I'm fine and I have survived book week. Which oh, is, book week. Yes. And yes. even though I wasn't able to go anywhere because, you know, we're not, it was still an incredibly busy and very fun week. I did a mm. lot of uh, Zoom sessions, a lot of, you know, chatty ones. Right. My Last one was at uh, seven o'clock on Friday night in my pajamas. So wow. you know, I know I got invited Zoom to in wear pajamas. <laughs> I got invited to wear my pajamas, and I was not oh. going to knock back that invitation because right. it was um it was a book club, and it was they have a, a right. special you know once a month Friday pajama night night. in your pajama things. So love it. Yeah. So I went along in my pajamas because I'm not one to you know buck the dress code. No. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, I love Book Week because I just love seeing all of the costumes that are running around the place. Not that I saw many running around the place at the moment, but, I mean, Book Week wasn't a thing. Um, We didn't really get dressed up when we were little, did we? Oh, no. Oh, no, we did. Like there was – it was a thing. Yeah, it was a thing. I have no memory of why or where or what, but – um, one of the schools that I was at in the Northern Territory, because I was in a few different ones, but mm. I re- I do remember, you know, mum rustling around, you know, trying to pull together book week costumes. And my mother, I just want to say that I learned all of my craft skills, mm-hmm. therefore zero, mm-hmm. from my mother, who has, I think, even fewer craft skills than I do. Like it's, you know, she's she's open. She's, she's right there. She's like, I've got zero interest in this stuff. Um, so yeah, so we were basically dressed in whatever she could pull together out of the cupboard. It was, and that's how she put things together. It was, um, so my, my costumes were never what one would call elaborate. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, she did her best and she was quite creative in her thinking. And we, we ended up in some interesting, interesting kit. I do remember, and I'm trying to think who I was meant to be, but I do remember she sent me along to one in a, in a, um, I think I was in an orange skibby. Right. So who were you? I think I was an intellectual or something like that. <laughs> I think I had a. I think I was in a from memory brown cords, an orange skibby, okay. um, pile of books under my arm, mm-hmm. and I was an intellectual. And I'm not sure if I've told you this story before because it is one of those standout memories of my whole life. <laughs> um, but I was in that. And a girl arrived as, you know, Queen Nefertiti or something. Right. She was carried in on <gasps> a, on a, you know, like a sort of a, like a stretcher arrangement held oh. high by four people wearing outfits. <gasps> and she was in the full Egyptian garb. Oh, my God, and, that's amazing. And there's me in my <laughs> orange skivvy. <laughs> Just, you know. And wow, about- I wonder what became of her. Like maybe she became Lady Gaga or something. I have no idea. But it is it is one of those things that does come up in family conversation regularly <laughs> because I've never really quite forgiven my mother for the orange skinny. 
Oh and she says God. she to this day will just say, doesn't it just show you how clever I was that I came oh. up with something out of nothing? And I mean, it did. And you know what? I, I, <laughs> now that I'm a parent myself, I fully understand. I'm all about the, you know, wear your jeans and a t-shirt and be whatever yes. kid you can be that looks like every other kid, you know, it's that. Yes, um, yes. But I yeah, think but you've oh. either got a costume gene or you haven't yeah. oh, and I yeah. haven't. No. But some people are just 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 know how to do it but or know where that, to get stuff. I've always been too, I think, socially self-conscious. So mm. in that sense that costume parties are just my idea of a nightmare. I mean, I went through a phase there or my friends went through a phase there at one stage and I'm talking about, you know, in their 30s. I'm not talking about when they were 18. Yeah. Of every single thing we went to had to be a dress-up. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what, I'd just rather stay home. And the thing, I think the thing that I have the it's like a phobia. I think I have this abs- – maybe it's the orange skivvy. I have this terror of turning up in full regalia yeah. and discovering that I'd got the invitation wrong and that it wasn't a costume. Oh, like Bridget Jones. Yeah. That, exactly. Like mm. that was just my nightmare just played out in, in real time right there because, yeah, I, I don't know this. But having said that, I loved acting and I loved being in yes. in productions and stuff because I knew if I was on a stage, I had to be in a costume and that was okay. But mm. out in the real world, yeah, not, not so much. Yeah. Well, when was the last time you dressed up oh, in costume? Not that long ago, because the same friends who loved having costume parties in their thirties are still having them. Um, I went to what did I go to? Uh, or oh, in saying that, well, I was dressed up in in a feather boa and a sparkly author outfit not that long ago for the book for the reel to do my book launch. Oh yes, of course, yes. I don't yes. generally walk around in a feather boa, um, but like a full. I don't haven't done a full, you know, face paint and bunny ears kind of arrangement for a long time. Yeah, right. I think it's mm. been forever for me. I don't even I can't even remember when. I think it was when I went to sing along a sound of music. Possibly. <laughs> Did you wear the curtains? <laughs> I didn't wear the curtains. I went as a oh, what do you call it? A novice, you know, like a nun. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember a friend of mine, um, Kim, she came as and she caught the train <laughs> from her oh, home. Oh, as you do. And, yes. and, and a bus because she lived in Narrabeen, so a bus and a train. Uh, she came as raindrops on roses and she just wrapped herself in um, crepe, green crepe paper for the stem of the rose and then red uh, at the bottom, her bottom half, and red crepe paper at the top and cut out giant raindrops and stuck them to herself. And caught the train that way. <laughs> Do you know what? I absolutely This is love a mother her. of four. I love her style. That is so good. And that's really clever though too because most people would just like turn up in a nun's outfit. But no. So you could have gone as a brown paper. You could have gone as a brown paper package tied up with string. Yes. And in fact, next time I think you should. Oh, dear. Okay. Anyway, so Book Week winner. Let's move on to the world of writing and publishing. You've got an interesting link for us. Well, I've just got a big – I've got a shout-out to Tara Wells, who is a member of our listener community. So, hi, Tara. Hi, Tara. And she – um, has recently published 
her first non-fiction book, which is Woo! called – look it up, Alison, find it, because I've got the book – I've got the post in front of me. I'm actually just having a go. Um, she has written a fantastic book about the Bondi to Manly Walk, and it's a guidebook. Ooh. And it's launching – It's a long walk. Is it, Yeah, how far is it? I don't even know. I'm not in Bondi to well, Manly. You wouldn't do it, like, every day. Hmm. Yes, well, so anyway, go <laughs> it launched recently two years after she sent her book proposal to publishers and nearly 10 years to the day when she walked from Manly to Bondi on her honeymoon. Oh, and so I know. So lovely. she has created this definitive guidebook. It's out with New South Publishing. Um, she's a member of the uh, So You Want to Be a Writer uh, listener community, and I just wanted to say, really well done. I will put the link in the show notes to um, there's a, she's written a blog post about the story behind the 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 guidebook and how it came to be, you know. And we talk about the honeymoon, and there's a lovely picture there of her husband. Hi, and mm-hmm. um, and then it goes through how she went about actually creating the guidebook, yeah. and then of course how it came to be published. So it's really worth having a look. It's at tarawellsauthor.com if you are um, wondering about and don't have time to look at my show notes. But otherwise, you'll find the show notes at so you want to be a writer. Thank you. There you yes. go. <laughs> and it is really interesting to um, check it out because she's even got a Gantt chart. She's got um, how know. she's broken it down, all of her index cards. So interesting. You know, yeah. um, have you done any of that walk, Al? Well, I I don't know where – I mean, obviously it goes from Bondi to Manly, but no. Is it is, is it the one that goes around the – you know, the headland there for at Bondi and stuff? Is it there? Well, I've only done Spit to Manly, so obviously done that bit. Oh, I've done that bit. I've done yeah. that bit. Yeah. But I don't know the bit between Bondi and the Spit, I suppose. Mm. Yes. Well, we'll have to get the book and check it out. Fantastic. Maybe, maybe we can do it together, Valerie. It'll be yes. like a, honey, a honeymoon for podcast hosts. <laughs> Just what we need. When we're allowed, when we're out, allowed out of lockdown, let's celebrate by walking a little bit of the guidebook. We're gonna of the of the walk. We're gonna need to get the guidebook. Oh yeah, thanks, Tara. Sure. Thanks for sharing it with us. You've just given us a whole new reason for being right there. Yes, and we won't walk the whole way, Al, because you know, lazy. Oh no, um, no, no. We just all we need to do is walk enough of it to get an Instagrammable opportunity. Yeah. And- <laughs> Yes, that's right. All right. We also have a big shout out to Sandhya Parapakaran, who wrote the book, The Boy Who Tried to Shrink His Name. And it is a cracker. It is a picture book. And she did this after doing the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, writing picture books. So she now has this debut picture book, The Boy Who Tried to Shrink His Name, published by Hardy Grant Children's Publishing. And her second picture book, Amaz Sari will be released in early 2022. So this is very, very exciting. She talks about the fact that um, she, she, you know, did the course and then this idea came to her for the boy who tried to shrink his name. And um, she then pitched, she went to, she did the things that we suggest, Al, which is what, what? I love about this story. Because no. really? you, you, know, <laughs> you know how we always say that it's really useful to go to industry events like yes. um, conferences and so on. So she went to the CYA conference and she pitched her story there and that's where she met uh, Alison O'Brien who is, is with Hardy Grant Children's Publishing and, and it went from there. So pretty darn exciting, I It is. Say. And do you know what? We talked about this completely separately because I – 
have a secret, not so secret life as a co-host of the Your Kids Next Read mm. podcast. And entirely separately, we actually talked about this very book in mm. episode 16. And Megan Daly, who is my co-host on that podcast, who is a you know celebrity teacher librarian and a book reviewer and a blogger yeah. and all sorts of things and the author of Raising Readers, loved this book, like loved yeah. it. So she reviewed it um, and she loved the message of it, which is basically that we should not have to shrink anything about ourselves mm. for anyone else. And it is a really, really lovely book. So I'm just like, I'm in awe. Well done. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And of course, you can read the whole of Sandia's journey uh, on the Australian Writers' Centre blog where we um, where we interview her and we talk about her entire journey to publication. So that's at writerscentre.com.au slash blog. But yeah, we'll put the link in those show notes as well. So now we have a competition this week. This is so exciting. We have three copies of The Housemate by Sarah Bailey. And we've had Sarah Bailey on the podcast before. She is one of our um, amazing um, Australian Writers' Centre alumna. She has written several books, um, you know, The Dark Lake, Into the Night, Where the Dead Go. But this is The Housemate. Three housemates, one dead, one missing, and one accused of murder. Dubbed The Housemaid Homicide, it's a mystery that has baffled Australians for almost a decade. Journalist Olive Groves worked on the story as a junior reporter. Now, nine years later, the missing housemate turns up dead on a remote property. Olive is once again assigned to the story, this time reluctantly paired with precocious millennial podcaster Cooper Ng. As Ollie and Cooper unearth new facts about the three housemates, a dark web of secrets is uncovered. What really happened between the three housemates that night? Will Ollie's relentless search for the murderer put her new family in danger? So you could win one of three copies of The Housemate by Sarah Bailey. Just go to writercentercomau slash win. Entries close on the 6th of September. That's writercentercomau slash win. And if you are listening to the, this podcast in the future, don't worry, still go to that link because there'll be some other fantastic competition for you to enter. So I just have to say something about this book because yes. I'm, I'm really keen to read it. And Sarah yes. ran a competition on Instagram recently and to win a copy of the book, you had to share, you know, a story of the worst housemate that you oh <laughs> my ever God. had. Or the thing that you, that really was a deal breaker for you with housemates. And for me, it was always, you know, the post-it notes on the butter. You know, it's that passive-aggressive, oh you know, that. Oh, it drives me crazy. But I was yes. thinking about it later and I thought, you know what, the worst housemate I think I've ever had, and I've had mm. some, you know, I've had some crackers over the years, um, is actually my 14-year-old. Like he, <laughs> he embodies... You know John Birmingham's book all those yes, years ago? Yeah. He died so, with a falafel in his hand. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the you know, the, the ones that drive you crazy are the ones that like no matter how many times you say to them, please put the toilet seat down, please close the yes. toilet door, please don't leave your stuff all over the place, please don't put, you know, your bowl next to the sink rather than just putting it straight in the dishwasher. Please, you know, those ones and over and over again. Yeah, well that's it's those people are essentially still fourteen because yes. that's what I'm dealing with at the moment. And it's oh. it's like living in a share house with, you know, that housemate. Oh, my God. So I don't think I've had many housemates that are that bad. But mm. um, I was uh, – I used to work with this girl and she um, – it, it was more her desk mate, so her, her office desk mate. Mm. Um, she um, – 
she worked for an accounting firm mm-hmm. and um, which is the accounting firm I worked for. Um, and she sat next to this guy for, I don't know, four years or something. <laughs> and then it was discovered he was a serial killer. What? No. I know. He's, it, it's, it, it's real. He and his wife, it, this was in Canada, because, but I met her when she moved with the same accounting firm from Canada to Australia. So I met her in Australia. But in Canada, she sat next to this guy who, after four years or however long it was, it, the, he was finally caught because on weekends, he and his wife would go out and serial kill. They were known as the Ken and Barbie serial killers. In fact, we discussed them in the course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder that we have um, here that Candace Fox runs. Um, and, yeah, so for she just she just was in shock, mate. She probably had PTSD. I mean, like, she sat next to him for 10 years while he was doing those things, during the week, while on the weekends he was off doing these other things. Wow. And isn't that – because, you know, you often see those, you know, interviews on the, on the TV afterwards and stuff like that, mm. and the neighbours are like, well, you know, he was a quiet guy and he was yeah. really lovely and blah, blah. But, like – Wow, sharing a desk, that's I know. probably a bit too close, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's just wow. such a hard thing to comprehend. Yeah, wow. Yes. Anyway. There's, there's probably there a novel go. in that. I would say so, yes. Mm. But let's move on to more important things, Al. Are you ready mm. for the word of the week? Mm. Far more important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. It's a very important moment. I'm totally ready. It's a vim. I'm ready for it. Okay. It's tittle, T-I-T-T-L-E, tittle. Do you know what that is? No, I no, only in the sense of tittle-tattle. You know what I mean? Yes, that but that's sort of not thing? what I'm referring to. No, no, obviously not. All right, tell me what you're referring so, to. So, tittle, it's a noun. It is a dot or other small mark in writing or printing used, for example, as a diacritic. So, basically, it's the dot at the top of an I or a J. And because it's so teeny tiny, it also means a very small quantity. But, you know, the, the dot on an I and a J is a tittle. I had no idea that it, that go. the dot on uh-huh. an I or a J had a name. Had a name. So there you go. You get, mm. listen to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> gotcha. Right there. When you write, when you write, let me ask you this question. When you write, do your tittles end up directly above the I or the J that they're supposed to be on or do your tittles end up, you know, randomly over the R or the S next to them or something, for example? I, I, that, it's a very good question. I am now looking at my handwriting, which is right in front of me, and I would say it is 50-50. Well, I'm looking at my handwriting, which is right in front of me, and I would say that they are either not there at all or they <laughs> are about three letters over from where they're supposed to be, which is possibly one of the reasons I can't read my handwriting. Wow, I couldn't handle if they're not there at all. No, they're seriously not there at all. But a lot but of them. How can you? I can't. I can't deal with that. No, but I. It's not that I, I don't. It's causing write me anxiety. Them. It's not that I don't write them. It's just that I'm obviously because half the trouble with my handwriting is that I'm trying to write too fast all the time, and I think I'm just like belting along so quickly that I'm not even doing. Yeah, but I'm looking at this list of names that I have in front of me, oh. and several of them there's just not even one there. And then right next to me, I have an example of my oldest son's handwriting which is 
surprisingly tidy and his titles are all <laughs> directly above the yeah. letter they're supposed to be above. Is he so also neat? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, there you go. Generally speaking, yes. All right. So mm. that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course will help you find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love. You'll also have your very own tutor providing personalised feedback on your writing. Here's what Catherine Pelosi says. When I um, first decided I wanted to write, I was actually living in the UK and I just all of a sudden started thinking about stories and writing. I thought, wow, I'd really like to write for children, but I had no idea how. So when I came back to Sydney, I was like, I need to find out how to do this. And I found the course Writing for Children and Young Adults at the Australian Writers' Centre and I enrolled and it was brilliant from the start. It was just like entering this whole world of like magic and happiness and I've never left because it's just so great learning about writing and children's books. For me the most useful part of the course was learning about all the different components of storytelling. You might have an idea but how do you actually put it all together? and there's so many different elements. Learning all the technical side, is there's a lot to it. The presenter at the um, course was really supportive. And I think also being uh, with other writers, other aspiring writers is really important because you need that community. Writing can be quite isolating. You're often just at your computer typing away. So um, I've met people through the course I've done at the Australian Writers' Centre and kept in touch. So it's a great way to find your writing buddies as well. When I found out that I was being published, it was the best feeling ever, I, the happiest day. I can remember so far. It was really, really exciting. Uh, if I think back to when I first did the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, which was my first sort of entry into writing for children, to the moment I got published, it's sort of unbelievable that it happened. An awesome feeling. Now I can call myself a children's book author, which is amazing. And I have my first book coming out, Quark's Academy, and I've signed two more book deals. I would say if you want to do a course at the Australian Writers' Centre, definitely do it. To find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. All right, so Al, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Who have we got? Well, I had a terrific chat with Karen Wilde, who has had the interesting experience of having not one, but two books come out in a pandemic within like 10 months of each other. And the first one was a novel for adults called Where the Fruit Falls. It's got the most beautiful cover and we do discuss mm. the cover in the uh, in the interview. And then the second one is a, a children's nonfiction, which has just come out recently um, in July. And it's called Heroes, Rebels and Innovators, Inspiring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander People from History. So two quite different books. And we had a terrific chat about how it all came to pass that they came out so close together and with two different publishers. So here's Karen. Karen Wilde is a freelance writer and author from South Australia. Born on Ghana Yatta in South Australia, she is of Madhu descent. Karen was the recipient of the 2020 Dorothy Hewitt Award for an unpublished manuscript, shortlisted for a 2021 Victorian Premier's Literary Award, and longlisted for the Arbia Small Publishers Adult Book of the Year for her debut novel, Where the Fruit Falls. 
Her latest book is a children's non-fiction book called Heroes, Rebels and Innovators, Inspiring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander People from History. Welcome to the program, Karen. Thank you for inviting me on. So you've had two books published in 10 months, but we're going to mm-hmm. go all the way back to the beginning. We like to start our stories right at the beginning. Tell us about Where the Fruit Falls and how it came to be published. Okay, so that one I started around about 2012. Um, I generally have a few manuscripts on the go and I had another one I was working on as well, but I chose to finish the other one first and that one was my practice run because I'm self-taught, you know, self-taught writer. So that one I ended up self-publishing. Okay. And then I... Lots of things happening in life, you know, as it does. I finally got a, you know, dipped in back to where the fruit falls now and again. Um, I finished it in 2000, end of 2018, after being um, lucky enough to get a scholarship to participate in hard copy master program one and two. Um, And so 2019, I spent that whole year querying like sending it out to publishers and agents, I got about 20 rejections. Um, they're all very nice. They loved it, but it just wasn't for them. So, you know, it, it's it's not a book that is for everyone. And then end of 2019, I thought, right, just going to enter in the Dorothy Hewitt. If it doesn't win, I'm self-publishing, you know, just get on and do it. And so, yes, it won, which was a massive surprise. It took me a very long time to accept that I'd won. Um, so exciting, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, it, you know, when you win a prize like that, it, it's extremely fast process, unlike some of the other uh, book manus- uh, unpublished manuscript prizes. That one, that one, you know, you, it's announced in February and it was out um, end of September, I think. So it was a very oh, quick wow. process. That is quick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I have many questions, but the first one I would like to ask is if can you give us an overview of where the fruit falls? Like what is the book about? Where did the inspiration okay. for it come from? You know, why did you write this book? And also why do you think this is the one that kind of got over the line to publication? Why did this one win an award when maybe the other one wouldn't have? Um well, I mean, it started when I was painting, actually. I, I was painting and because at that time I used to do a lot of um, painting and I was listening to uh, Nina Simone sing Strange Fruit, mm. um, which, of course, was written for Billie Holiday. Mm. But I started thinking about the things that had happened in Australia at similar times and eras and, and how often Australians know more about what happened in America than what happened here. So I wanted to write a story that delved into the very many um, forms of injustice and violence of the settler colonials against First Peoples. Mm. Um, I'm a pantser, so there was no plotting. So what I tend to do is start with an image. So with that one, it was this image off the tree, and I won't say what happened because that's, you know, a crucial point um, mm. halfway through the book. And it was that one image that I started writing, and then I tend to wrap a story around an image and 
that one happened to be halfway through. Um, and many times I went back to take that scene out because I didn't want a book that had graphic violence and that what that scene was. Mm. Um, but it needed to stay. Mm. So with my first book, again, it came from an image. I had this just image pop into my head of a um, hand, an older man's hand, uh, opening up one of those wooden cigar boxes that get turned into keeping boxes. Yeah. And he was presenting it to a small child and within that box was chocolate. So, again, I wrote a story around that and I had no intention to ever showing it to publishers or getting it published. Um, it was my practice run. Mm -hmm. But then after all that time, I thought, oh, what the hell, I'm just going to do it. And I'm glad I did because I taught myself about marketing, about formatting, editing, a lot of the background stuff of of writing. Yeah. Um, and I was able to get back any of the money I invested pretty quickly because it got shortlisted for a state prize. Yeah. Um, I didn't promote it very much because there was a loss in the family a couple of weeks after I published and that took up time instead and emotions. So it did well. You know, it'd be a nice one. I've taken it off the market because uh, there's no way of uh, selling it anymore without going through Amazon and I can't support them yeah. ethically. Yeah. So I've taken it off the market and hopefully one day someone will, will publish it again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you wrote, so you wrote both of those books, both of those first manuscripts, you know, essentially around about the same time, did you? You were going oh, backwards and forwards. Well. And others was, as well. Yeah, so yeah. what, what drew you to like, I guess what I'm trying to say is did you, so is your process, as you say, you're, you're a pantser, you have mm -hmm. an image, you start writing. So when you say you're working on different manuscripts, you're not sitting down and writing a manuscript from start to finish. You're like, I'm working on this bit now and I'm going to work, on, you know, I've got inspiration for another manuscript today, so I'm going to work on that. Is that how it works for you or are you starting, you know, doing a complete draft and then putting it aside and then coming back to it later or how does it work? No, I've I've never done a first draft on anything, right. um, not anything, not even at uni or any of the opinion pieces or anything like that. So I tend to edit as writing and I'll go back and forward and bounce around without programs like Scrivener. So it's a very messy process. Wow. Um, and any notes I'll, I'll put on Post-it. Um, so, yeah, extremely messy, but there's at some point I go, this is the story I need to concentrate and finish and put the others aside. Right, and okay. And then I do that, yeah. Okay. And um, I'm just trying to, I'm going, I'm going back through the, all of those various things. Oh, so 20 rejections, you're getting, you know, nice rejection letters back from publishers. You're thinking mm. to yourself, look, if, you know, I'll enter it in this award and if it doesn't get over the line, that's that. Um, but do you ever at any stage when you're having these 20 rejections, thinking to yourself, oh, maybe this is just not going to work. You know, maybe I just need to, you know, maybe maybe 10 rejections in, I'm thinking oh, I'm going to put this aside and do something entirely different. I, I, did you, how do you keep the faith with a work like that um, to keep sort of putting it out there? Well, I mean, if you do follow me on Twitter, you can see that, yeah. It, <laughs> That's very emotional. Yeah, yeah. Um, the up and down. And I think 
in some bizarre way that's inspired other writers, especially older writers like me that have gone, look, you know, she pers- she kept going. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out for her. Yeah. Um, do you know, I had a lot of faith in this story. I know I know it, it really didn't win awards and it wasn't a bit, you know, it, it wasn't on a lot of radars. It sort of slipped under a lot of radars. And But I'm extremely proud of it and I believe in the story and even if it wasn't picked up because it's commercially odd, um, I do know readers connected with it and mm. have contacted me, and I think that counts. Yeah. Um, and even though I say it wasn't, you know, a big success in some ways, it was for the publisher. I mean, it went into, I think it went fourth reprint within about four months or something like that. So for them it was it was a good seller. Well, it also got you onto like, you know, being shortlisted for a 2021 Victorian Premier's Literary Award is no mean feat and also, mm. you know, long-listed for that, you know, Adult Book of the Year. Like, as far as a debut novel goes, like, it's, you know, props it's to you, Karen. It's not my debut, though. It's not my debut. Uh, <laughs> it's my second novel. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, totally. But it's not about winning prizes or anything like that. It's just that I I wanted I wanted people to read the story to To learn what was in there and to engage with the themes, yeah. um, themes that I felt were really important and was very passionate about um, writing. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a great process. I mean, from from thinking that I'll never ever get traditionally published, and then all of a sudden it's won an award, and it's it's out there and it's getting shortlisted. It was it was huge, um, especially at my age. Um, you know. I mean, I, I, you know, well and truly in that age where it's unlikely that you get picked up by a publisher, yeah. But then again, we, you know, you're a perfect example of how it's never too late, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, you keep working for decades, eventually you get there. <laughs> Just work hard forever and you'll be fine. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so has... Um, has getting this novel traditionally published, I mean, uh, and it's such a quick process, like as you say, like the mm. from start to finish, has it changed the way you approach your writing at all? I mean, has is there, you know, uh, is there now an expectation of a follow-up from you? Like do you have to work to a deadline? Has anything changed about the way that you approach, you know, writing your fiction? I think self-publishing my first novel enabled me to jump in and get the work done in that short frame on that yeah, second one. Yeah. Um, because I was already disciplined. I already had to think like a professional rather than a creative. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, yeah, the structural edits, uh, structural edits are always brutal, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Um, but I got it done quite quickly. Like I was given a month um, and then the copy edit, I was given a couple of weeks. So the whole process of, me editing it was was within two months um and meanwhile the covers going on in the background but because I'd self-edited because I do believe that I had a pretty good tight manuscript there was less work um so I was very lucky in that way fantastic um okay so the book came out in 2020 uh, mm-hmm. And I would imagine that the whole experience of that wasn't what you'd imagine it would be, just given the environment in which it came out. Um, what sorts of things did you do to promote the novel, like given the timing of it? 
Well, I mean, yes, it wasn't what I expected, but neither was my first because, mm. yeah. because you know, I was dealing with, with things then. So it's not like, it was it was not something I'd gone through again. So now I've got three books that have come out that haven't been the Cinderella story. Yeah. Um. So I mean, there, you know, there, there are there's some sadness there, of course. Yeah. But also, you know, when you look at the bigger picture, uh, the, globally we're going through some pretty big things, and it, those little things don't matter as much. Yeah. Um. But of course, you know. Us writers are emotional messes most of the time anyway, so <laughs> it's hard sometimes not to fall into that that thinking. Oh, it's um, so true. But in everything I've ever written, including books, including other things, it's it's people on Twitter, I think, that really get me through um, and sort of make me feel a little bit better and, you know, so I can slap myself a little bit and go stop thinking like that and, yeah, see see the good parts of everything. Yeah, the community aspect of uh, Twitter and, and social mm. media I think is often um, overlooked. Um, there's mm-hmm. always a lot of um, there's always a lot of negative talk about Twitter, but I mm. actually find that some of the most supportive people that you you know meet that you know online, so to speak, are, are yeah. actually there. I think there's a lot of um, because it's so chatty, isn't it? Like, when, oh, yeah, if yeah. you use it like that, it's so chatty, and I think that that's. Yeah. Um, it's the best way to use it, really. Um, and you can make relationships with writers yeah. that, you know, best-selling writers. I've got I've formed relationships with writers online, not even knowing they're writers, and then Googled them after a while. It's like, oh, wow, <laughs> this person's a <laughs> oh, big gosh. deal. Um, <laughs> but every, everyone's just themselves, yeah. That's right. All right, now let's have a little chat about your third book because mm-hmm. uh, it's actually uh, it's a children's book, nonfiction, yes. uh, Heroes, yes. Rebels and Innovators. Now, yeah. where did that fit into the timeline of, of uh, you know, manuscripts you were writing? And, I mean, was it something that sort of came about after your first or your after Where the Fruit Falls was traditionally published or is it something you've been working on for a while? Like how, how does that work in your timeline of writing? Okay, so this one's story started two and a half years ago at least. Right. Um, so it's, it's quite a while. Again, I was on Twitter <laughs> and I saw a conversation between a – uh, hatchet publisher and a couple of children's writers and they were sort of admiring a book that I'd not heard of but I googled um and saying you know it would be really good to have a book like that um focused on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from history yeah so I popped up and went hey <laughs> hey I'm the person to write <laughs> I that I can do that because <laughs> you know by then you know it, it was trying not to be sad about my novel not getting picked up and um I was out of work as usual as a freelancer and I need money and it's like, yeah, I can do this. And then they said, okay, give us a list of people that you'd write stories about and do us a sample story. And it's like, oh, okay. So then I had to Google how do you write a children's book? (laughs) (laughs) But then realised that really it's just, very similar to freelance writing and technical writing, non-fiction writing, that, you know, you do your research and you focus on who the audience is and you just write it. So it wasn't a creative process for me as much as what it was technical writing for money. Um, Not that I'm not proud of it and like the project, but 
that's the way I approached it. I approached it more as work than craft. As a freelance um, writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and before freelancing, I I had a lot of jobs in government and not for profits where and research at unis where writing was my job, um, writing nonfiction. So so you know I, I approached it that way, um, and then then yeah, two and a half years. So there was quite a lot of delays, COVID being some of them. Yeah. Um, so then when we got to the end of it, it's like, really, did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it stopped and started so much. And I know we all say that writing, publishing is really just, um, hurry up and hurry up and wait. Uh, wait. Yeah. Um, so very much a lot of that happened. Yeah. So there are seven stories in the book. Um, mm-hmm. How did you go about curating which stories to tell? Like how did you decide what you were going to choose to include okay. in the book? Because th- there was other stories I wrote that I took out and then replaced again. Yep. So there was a process. So I wanted the book to be close to uh, contact era. Yeah. Um, so – a lot of the stories then have come from the East Coast because contact and evasion occurred over very many decades, um, starting at the East Coast. Yep. I also wanted to have a fair spread around the continent, yep. which was a lot harder. And Hatchet wanted there to be more stories about women than men, so that was that was one of the things they asked me to do. Mm. Um, again, one of the things I chose was that I needed to have a diverse range of, of people's experiences and lives. So um, so we, we have heroes there, we have innovators, we have um, resistance fighters. So there's there's a whole range of experiences and stories. Was it difficult to research, like in the sense of like was the information that you needed readily available or did you have to go searching for it? It was actually there was probably me more research involved in this than my novel. Um, my novel is historical, yeah. but a lot of the things in there I already knew. Right. Um. So I didn't have to go and read books and read a lot. Now and again, I'd Google what year did the Marylinger bombing happen or something like that. Yeah. Um. But I already knew a lot of it, or I'd have to Google what cars existed in that era, or yeah, you know, were outback shops, shops or stores or what. Um. But with this book, there was a lot more research, mainly because I wanted to properly respect and honour people's ancestors and yeah. not get that wrong. Yeah. And so if I couldn't properly verify something, it would come out. Like right. there was a lot of tough choices. It's like, oh, I really like that line, but I can't verify it satisfactory so it comes out. Um, a lot of comparis- comparisons, like for some of the stories, it was trove-based and which are old newspapers and things like that, mm. but they didn't hold up to to what community were telling me. So they so I leaned towards and again descendants rather than um, words written by the colonisers. Yeah. So um, and the other thing too is I really wanted community uh, involvement engagement yeah. and that was quite hard for some of the stories there was a lot of emails and calls and and um not being able to again get something verified uh so so it was a long process a very long process to do all that and I'm not saying 100% that I got it right but I do know that 
I try to the best of my skills to be respectful. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like a very like it sounds like you've put a lot of time into this like and and, Mm. you know it's an it's obviously like a a multi-layered approach that you've done and then you produce you know a children's book and Mm -hmm. people read it and of course the whole point of a children's book is that you are imparting that information in a in a readable um accessible you know interesting way for kids so the creation of all of that and distilling all of that information that you've you've collected and verified into a children's novel was that a children's book rather was that a um you know the distillation process of that did you find that um difficult at all um no because Um, of the audience because you had the audience in mind the whole time i i had the audience in mind and predominantly for me the audience was um first nations children yeah and their families because we we do need books that people can pick up and go, I recognise myself in this, I recognise my future and my dream, I can see my ancestors in this. So that was primarily the audience. And the other thing too is that I don't I don't believe in dumbing things down for children. Mm. Um, so I approached the... The story part of each story, in the same way that you know I, I write narr- narrative nonfiction or even my novel is quite lyrical, and I wanted it to have patterns and sounds that if a child's too young to read it, then at least they can sit there and and um, listen and and have those sounds because um, from my own experience of reading books to my children many decades ago was that sound and patterns are very important. Mm. Um, so that was that was important. And then the second part of each story is is a shorter bit that backs up some of the, the facts yeah. in the story yeah. and gives people a springboard to go and do their own research. Yeah, okay. Um, so the covers of both your books, which are mm-hmm. published with two different publishers, are both fabulously eye-catching, like they've really you know stand out did you have a lot of input or much input into those at all well for heroes rebels and innovators i had no input Mm. so i was very hands-off and again having worked as a technical writer it was and not seeing this as a creative project it was okay to be hands-off yeah um the the illustrator is a young um fiji and aboriginal woman Mm. um up in in um, Queensland, so Jalyn Bayumaiwa. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I saw her on Instagram, but before that, um, someone else I follow and on Twitter, Kerry Klim, ha- was promoting her on Twitter, and so I sort of said, "What do you think?" And she highly recommended her. So I put her name forward to the publisher, and suggested that they give her a bit of mentoring because it was a big deal for her mm. um, skills-wise. Like she, she was early 20s. And I really like her simplistic style mm. because I think it sort of um, matches my more complex writing style. Mm. So I was very hands-off. Now and again, like when she did each story, and I didn't have any communication with her, so it all went through the publisher. Oh, wow. But I would get 
yeah, that's often the way. Mm. Um, but I would put a whole list of resources to help her do her own research mm. into different things. Um, now and again, I'd get shown a draft and I'd go, yeah, that's really good and give some feedback, but very, very, very few feedback. And it, I didn't see the cover until it was really done. Um, and that was fine. Like, you know, it was, it was fine to do that process. Um, and then with the other one, yeah, I, I was very much involved in the, in the process, but again, no communication with the, with the designer, it was through the publisher. So, so I sort of gave some ideas of colors and fonts and everything I liked. I did the sort of like pin board of, of other covers that I liked. Mm. Um, but what kept coming back was extremely European. Right. Um, very European, like the colors, the plants, everything was really European. And so I kept giving hints and then coming back again, it's like, yeah. So in the end I went, take that from that and that, that, that. And so it was like picking the elements off a lot of different covers saying combine that all together. Right. And then that happened and then it was like, and now I want some gold. <laughs> What's <laughs> glitter there? I have to say, so I got gold the, and silver. The gold is quite <laughs> awesome. It's a, it is a lovely, lovely cover, and um, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? Because as an author, you don't. I, I think, um, perhaps you know, being with a smaller publisher gives you that gives you the ability to have more input there because yeah. often with a larger traditional publisher, you kind of, you get sent the cover and it's like, what do you reckon? And you can maybe say, well, the hair color's wrong, but that's about it, you know? So um, mm. I think your input has helped create something really quite, you know, stand out there. I think it's really lovely. And um, they match. Put both books together, they match. They do. <laughs> that's, they, they're like a set. It's like you plan they the are. whole thing. Yeah. Um, now, we talked about Twitter, like, and I did, mm -hmm. uh, as I said, come across you on social media, you know, Twitter specifically mm. a few years ago and, and, and see a lot of, like, there's, you, you get retweeted a lot as well, which is... Um, oh, embarrassing. <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. Um, so, but do you think, like, how important has social media been for helping you to establish yourself, you know, as a writer and as an author? Very important. I think right back in when I was when I was getting more serious and I had more time to do this, kids had grown up. So around about, you know, 2011, something like that, I uh, came across Google Plus. And so in there I sort of like went to some of the writers' groups. Yeah. But the serious writers' groups didn't do it for me. So it was more like the places where writers hung out to let off steam. Yeah. <laughs> and just joke around was where I went. But that support was really important that we gave each other. And, of course, G Plus is gone now. Yeah. Um, but then I sort of went towards Twitter, didn't understand it at first, but got the hang of it. Um, I would say in the last seven years, because when I first went on there, like probably nine years ago, I went on like build your author platform, you know. Yeah, yeah, We're all yeah. told to build our platform. So I went on there as an author and it's like, ugh, <laughs> so <Yeah>. embarrassed. <laughs> um, and then it's just like whatever, my, my world keeps falling apart. I'm just going to be me and hang out with people and support people. And I would have to say in the last seven years probably – a great deal of my work, my finances have come from Twitter. You know, mm. that that's where I see opportunities, um, where I get freelance jobs, where I get writing jobs. 
I would not have financially survived without Twitter. Even now I can't, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Do you uh, do any other forms of social media as well? Or is it no, my, it's all not Twitter any. for you? Yeah. Uh, I've opened my, my third attempt of Instagram. But <laughs> oh, in saying that, I follow you there. I, I do. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Insta's – I don't get Insta um, as much. Um, but, yeah, this time I do seem to be having better luck than previous times, yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, you work as a freelance writer as well. Mm-hmm. Do you, How do mm-hmm. you fit – you know, like writing books is a long-term commitment and sometimes it's an investment in time without any necessarily – you know, you don't know what the financial payoff might even be. So how yeah. do you do that with making a living as a writer? Like how do you, how do you kind of balance those things? I haven't been working on manuscripts for a while. Mm. Um, I've tried my hand at short stories a bit during the pandemic which is something I've always struggled with but um I did win a competition last year so I'm sort of trying that out a bit more um I think like with a lot of people I'm really struggling during the pandemic Mm. to get my creative brain going and I mean even with with like this global crisis going on life doesn't stop so all the stresses that we all have in our life continue and there's been quite a few Mm. particularly in the last month that I've had to deal with but I'm sort of getting to the end of that now and I think you know I I can clear the brain and get back to creative writing a little bit more and I'm finishing off my master's as well okay and I would have to say that my master's really killed my creative brain oh um, <laughs> it's not ideal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, a lot of people would probably say the same. Um, so you're kind of going to finish that off, clear the decks a bit, and then you'll think about what your next thing might be? Oh, I've, I've, I've got things I want to write already. Yeah. Um, I think I was thinking of going back to f- tidy up and finish some old manuscripts, but there's two projects, maybe three, that I really would like to do. And so at the moment I'm putting out I'm putting out applications for grants and fellowships and things like that so that I can sit and do those projects. Excellent. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Karen. I've really enjoyed our chat. Um, oh, thanks. We'll finish up with our usual thing that we put our writers on the spot with, which is mm-hmm. um, your three top tips for writers, um, aspiring writers, writers who are starting out, any kind of writer. Um, What have you got for us? All right. I'll share some that I had in my speech at Adelaide Writers Festival this year. Excellent. Who who so kindly selected 10 Adelaide writers who missed out on launches during the pandemic and put us on stage and gave us a launch. It was so wonderful. Oh, that's fabulous. I know. So big shout-out to Joe for that. Um, so the three I've got is there is no cutoff age. Brilliant. Yeah. You know, I got told so many times by publishers after the age of 35, yeah, too late. But there is no cutoff age. <laughs> 35? Most I people know. are just getting started, aren't they? I know. <laughs> and then the other thing is break down the barriers for yourselves and others. Um, even if you're not aware of those barriers, there's others out there that are experiencing them. So so learn what they are and bring people up behind you. Mm. Um, form your support squad. 
whether that's online or in real life, find your, your supports. Excellent. Hmm. Those are all terrific tips. Now, Thanks. where's the best place for people to find you online, Karen? Obviously, Twitter is a great spot. <laughs> oh, no. If, if you want my non-political, non-sweary, <laughs> nice person that's quite boring and hardly um, shares anything, then you want Instagram. And what's and your think, Instagram? What am I? What's your um, meandering handle? wild. That's right, meandering wild, and wild with W Y L D. W Y L D. Yep. And yeah, if 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 you can tolerate the mess that I am, then it's Twitter, and that's um one Karen Wild W Y L D. And what about website? What's your website address? Uh, I have one of those, yes, um, karenwild.com. Karenwild.com, brilliant. All right, well, thank you so much for your time today, Karen. All the best for the new book, uh, the children's book, and also for whatever projects. And I do hope that you get through the Masters without it totally killing your brain. And uh, <laughs> we will look forward to seeing what you come up with next. Thank you. All right, so that was Karen Wild. Fantastic. We're- yeah, I do. I just love talking to, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before, like every mm. single writer that you ever speak to, um, you know, brings something new and brings something different to the table. And mm. I just really like her no-nonsense approach. I think it's it's fantastic. She doesn't do a lot on, uh, like she won't be on Facebook because of, you know, for, for reasons. And she doesn't do a lot of social media. She's on Twitter and she's on Instagram. Um, now she loves Twitter. Like she, mm. like it's her place. It's her happy place. And, you know, she talked about that, that in the interview. And I think that's the thing that we also talk about a lot, which is, you know, find the one that works for you yeah, and absolutely. make that your space. And Karen has most assuredly done that. And I think, you know, she talks about the fact that uh, that being on Twitter like that has helped her build that career. And I, I think, mm. you know, that's a great lesson as well. Yeah, fantastic. All right, we're now at the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week, Al? Oh, that's a good question. What am I doing? I don't know. I'm filming things. <laughs> Assuming I can get my roots done, I'm filming things. Um, oh, yeah. I've, I'm podcasting. I've got a few interviews that lined up, which I'm really looking forward to doing. Quite excited about those. And I am writing. I'm going to actually get started on a new idea that I've got. So, that's the plan, but I also mm. have children still at home thanks to, oh, yeah. you know, remote learning and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, Book Boy continues to be doing his HSC trials via remote. Um, now, that's a fun time for all. And so, mm. you know, there's there's a lot going on and nothing at all going on. Usual story. Yes, I hear you. I understand. I think my life is pretty similar minus the kids and I've already done my roots, so I'm set <laughs> on that front. that's actually been one of the most useful things I realized you know about the situation that we're currently in with hair (laughs) is that uh I it completely changed my spending patterns and the way I spend my time with my hair because I had always gone to the hairdresser because I had been kind of I guess taught to think that that was what you did I didn't even know how to do my own color and that now I save all not this money. <laughs> well, and also because you bought your hashtag not sponsored Dyson arrangement that we yeah, talked about true. last time. <laughs> Do you know what? On that though, just before we go, 
Yes. Do you know what happened to me this week? I forgot to tell you this. And you, you bought a Dyson? No. Oh, God, mm. no, no. No. <laughs> no, I did not. I broke my office chair. Oh, I know. How? Well, I look, it's a long story always as these things are, but I did not fall off it in front of a Zoom, which is what Megan Daly wanted to have happened. She was like, please tell me you <laughs> fell off in front of 100 kids. I'm like, no, I did not. But I broke the wheels off it by, I don't oh. know, you know, I don't know what I was doing, but I just heard this crack and then oh bang, down I went. So now I've got to buy a new one. And I remember oh. you talking, I've got to buy a new one, Val. And yeah. I remember you talking about your, you know, your lifetime um, best buys per use purchases. Mm -hmm. And so I am eyeing off the very expensive chair Ah. and particularly considering my advanced age, as I told (laughs) you, I am eyeing off the very expensive chair as an investment in my writing future. Yes, you won't regret it. But they're not easy to come by at the moment, unfortunately, because of, you know, imports and things like that. So anyway, Mm -hmm. I'll let you know. I'll keep you All posted. Right. Keep us posted. At the moment, sure. I'm, on a, I'm on a dining chair and I'm here to tell <laughs> you that it's not good for the ergonomic writing no. process. No. All right. Where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer, Instagram at Alison Tate Writer, and where else am I? Twitter at, at Al Tate. <laughs> I really made a mess of that. And you, Val, where where will we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo. That's um, K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.